One, two, three. The following is a Laura Flanders Show audio exclusive. I'm Laura. Here's my latest uncut exclusive with Winona LaDuc, executive director of Honor the Earth. She has a vision of indigenous power sovereignty based on solar and wind power that she'll tell you all about. Hello, I'm Vanessa Quay. I'm also known as Winona LaDuc from the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota, and I'm the director of Honor the Earth. It's really a question about who gets to control the infrastructure of the future. I mean, Joe Biden has a big infrastructure plan, and we're looking at a $9 billion pipeline, which is kind of the equivalent of the vault, you know, up against the, you know, U.S.-Mexico border. You know, the the point is that this is a non-essential infrastructure project paid for by a Canadian corporation, which, you know, begins to look a lot like blood oil when it hits the ground, when, 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 you know, instead of an escrow account to make sure that they can pay for their accidents, they've got an escrow account to pay for the police. So far, allocating about $750,000 to Minnesota police in anticipation of millions of dollars of expenditures to repress people. It was such a good idea, why you need so many cops? You know, someone might ask that question, but across the terrain, you got kind of the end of the party in fossil fuels. Why do I say that? Because no one's investing in the tar sands anymore. They all left, including the tech mine. That was the largest tar sands mine projected. That closed down last year. No, not going to continue. And then you see these pipelines that are that are going. I mean, the Constitution pipeline isn't going to happen, right? The Jordan Cove pipeline got canceled. That was the one to the Pacific Northwest by Pembeda, another Canadian multinational. And then, of course, the Keystone XL, another Canadian multinational trying to pedal tar sands. I mean, you know, so what you got, and, and then you have the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which I think at one point they were, I, I just call it Trudeau, the, the Justin Trudeau Pipeline, because after all, he bought it from Kinder Morgan. And so you, what you have is Canada with no plan B at the end of the tar sands era, trying to dump as much pipe, tar sands on us, you know, as they can so that they could keep bolstering up their, their economy. I mean, the fact is, is that Canada's economy is, they're, they're petrostate. They're predicated on how much tar sands they can extract. And I'm sorry to say, it's the dirtiest oil in the world. It costs $82 a barrel to get it out of the ground. So it doesn't work out well. But across the, bo- across the North, you see these proposals to put in more tar sands pipelines so that Canada can continue. And it is all the same battle. You know, the question is, is, is like in our case, it's, it's the equivalent of 50 new coal-fired power plants. You know, why would you put in 50 new coal-fired power plants, Mr. Biden or Mr. Wallace, the governor of Minnesota? Why would you put those in and pretend like you had a plan for climate? You don't have a plan if you're putting in 50 new coal-fired power plants. I got a three-year-old granddaughter and it's 2020. So, in, you know, it should be 33 in 2050. And I'm thinking, well, I consumed all that oil. I'm leaving her like horrible situation. So what if I try to fix it before it all goes bad? It's not like generations ahead. It's like I look at my little granddaughter and think, you know, this, you know, if, if we don't fight this pipeline off, there ain't going to be water for you to drink or fish it. If we don't fight this pipeline off, this forest is going to burn. That's what I'm looking at. And, you know, people get in this kind of sedated. I know y'all live in a city and you've probably spent most of your time looking at a box about the size of a cell phone. But the fact is, is that the world is is in climate chaos all around us. You can't pick a fight with Mother Earth and expect to win. You ain't gonna win a battle with Mother Earth and we're gonna get our butts kicked. And so what I wanna do is be on her side, not on the side of Enbridge or Exxon or any of those Syncrude, any of those Canadian multinationals. They've only been around a little while. 
just got to look around and we're already living in a world full of catastrophes of biblical proportions. I never saw anything like this and none of us did. I mean, I just said someone sent me some pictures of Alaska where villages are underwater. We live in a time when the entire West Coast was on fire, as was all of Australia. We are going into one of the driest seasons on record and I project it's going to be a really horrible year for forest fires. And then to the south, you have like torrential storms that destroy cities, people, countries. And then, uh, you know, to the east, we've had political crisis, a pretty great crisis. And then to the north, you know, you have the uh, melting of the polar ice caps and the glaciers. You know, so that's all pretty much c- catastrophes of biblical proportions. Add in a couple of things like the giant grasshopper locust invasion of Africa and the pandemic. Hmm. What do you got? I'd say it's time to move on. I'd say every indicator is time to smack up and wake up and move on. You know, we could talk about that by 2050, you know, the sea levels are going to rise, cities are going to be increasingly underwater, and, and, and the world is in all of this chaos, not because of something else, but because of us. And so that's why we're going to stop Enbridge. That's why we're going to stop these other pipelines. My heart goes out to all of you people in those urban areas who don't know much about the rest of the world like us. My heart goes out to you, we're here. You know, so think of it this way. We lived here for 10,000 years and didn't mess everything up. You know, think of it this way. Like when uh, they signed our treaties, you could drink all the water from every river and creek. The last treaties of my reservation was signed. You could still ride a horse next to a buffalo herd for three days solid and not lose the herd. Think about that. Think about that. That's when America was great. And now we, we live in this world where we don't even remember what we lost, except for some of us, you know, because we still live there. And they say that on a worldwide scale, indigenous people represent about 4% of the world's population, but we live with 75% of the world's biodiversity. That's where we live. There's 500 federally recognized tribes, and I live on White Earth Reservation in Northern Minnesota, where it is all around us a land that is full of wild things, you know? I live with bears and wolves and beavers and butterflies and frogs, you know? I live with all them guys, all the fish, they all live with us. And so if you want to save the world, you got to save the wild places. You can't just replant it in a tree plantation. It's not a forest. And the thing is, is that, you know, on a worldwide scale, the two places that are the most uh, lungs for the planet are the Amazon rainforest and the boreal forest in North. I live in the boreal forest. And that forest in the north is the lungs. You know, it is all trees and it's getting fractionated, not just by pipelines, but by mining corporations and logging corporations. And so these battles that indigenous people have are battles to protect like everything that is our life, everything that is about us, but it's also fundamentally gonna save you. That's why you need to be on our side, you know? And if you can't come out to the front lines, you can send us some money. You can send to the front lines and you could also put some political pressure out there because, you know, we know how that works. We know that Indian people aren't seen as significant, except we're now on the Secretary of Interior. And except for, of course, we got the vote out for Biden in a lot of states that, you know, was the Indian vote that counted like Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're here and we're going to keep fighting and you should join us. So this is not like an indigenous people struggle. This is really a question of who gets to control the Great Lakes? Why am I saying that? Because look, you know, the Enbridge Company 
move 75% of the tar sands oil into the United States. They have something called the main line, which crosses through Minnesota. There's six lines there. And then it goes through Wisconsin, and then it goes through Michigan under the Straits of Mackinac. Well, that pipe was put in on the Straits of Mackinac in 1953. It's uh, older than me. Yep, older than me. Amazing. You can believe that. But the point is, is that I'm in fine shape, but the pipe is not. That's not a good idea at all. Or, you know, a 70-year-old pipe is not a good idea. And so what's happened is, is that Michigan has been like for two years, Enbridge really wants to keep that profit going. Although they built a new pipe in Canada, they could put Canada at risk instead of us. But no, they want to keep going because they want to keep upping their tar sands sales. And they live in some fantasy that electric cars aren't going to overtake them. Right? They live in some fantasy of milk on that last bit of profit out at the end of the fossil fuel era. And so they refuse to shut down their pipeline. The governor of Michigan, after two years of consultations, massive scientific studies said, holy buckets, that that thing goes with you know, everything we value. So she exercised what's called the public trust. The public trust doctrine, which says that the governor, the person who has the public trust, has the responsibility to protect it. In this case, against a Canadian multinational. She ordered Enbridge out. Michigan ordered Enbridge out on March 12th and 13th. I went out there. But they aren't going to move. They refused. They rebuked her and said they would continue operating and said that the state of Michigan, which issued them the permit in 1953, doesn't have the jurisdiction to revoke the permit. And so, my fellow Americans, (laughs) let me ask you, Who has the jurisdiction to revoke the permit of a Canadian pipeline corporation? That's a question that all of us should be asking because Enbridge has $23 billion worth of old pipes in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And oh my God, I bet you got a lot of old pipes out there too, wherever you are. Who's going to clean those up? I feel like the corporation that put them in and benefited and received billions in profits should remove those pipes. So What we are fighting is a new pipeline because no pipe is better than a new pipe. We don't even want a new pipe because we don't think that they should expand tar sands extraction. Enbridge says it'll increase tar sands extraction by 10% if they get in this pipe. And we say, no, it's not going to happen. Besides that, we say somebody needs an exit strategy where the Canadian multinational thinks it can just rebuke us all and say, we ain't moving a pipe. Even if our easement is over, even if the party is over, We'll operate illegally. That's what they're doing, operating illegally. Michigan said they're going to seize the profits. So this is kind of this bigger question that I have, which is a question of American infrastructure. And what we want is infrastructure for people, not for oil companies. Like, you know, we could do $9 billion worth of pipes, water and sewer. Maybe that would fix Flint. That's what we need to do is pipes for people, not for oil companies. My sister in this struggle, Tanya Abbott, has a 12-step recovery program for fossil fuel addicts. Pretty much we all got to go on it, you know, because we're all addicted. We're like so accustomed to it and no one's asking questions anymore. Like, how come I have 12 different kinds of chargers? Like, why couldn't they make one that we could all use? That's a little question about the fossil fuels and plastics. Why do we need $50 million worth of new clothing made of fossil fuels every year? That's fast fashion. That's H&M, isn't it? Or maybe it's just like how we assume that we should get flowers from Colombia the same day, or maybe the next day. Or maybe we should just transport our food around the world, like, easy. Like, you know, I mean, I get New York, you can't grow your food, but really, we don't need to transport so much stuff. 
we could get a little bit more local and local and organic and a food economy and maybe we could rebuild energy systems so they weren't all these mammoth dinosaurs that break down like maybe texas right like texas you'd think those guys with all that oil they'd have their act together but no you know what they needed they needed solar thermal hmm. solar thermal power that's what we build up in wider eighth fire solar is what it's called eighth fire solar and we built solar thermal panels we manufacture them on the reservation why because you could reduce 20% of your heating bill with a south facing solar panel and some people say well why don't you go for solar electricity you could do that too why would i go get electricity to make heat when i could just make heat <laughs> right so that's what we do solar thermal panels and then the red lake tribe put up 300 kilowatts of solar they want 13 megawatts you know the the first commercial solar project in north dakota that be standing rock the cannonball solar project after the battle over dapple you know the battle over the dakota access pipeline they put up the first one not north dakota not any utilities out there so tribes are ready you know we're rolling up our sleeves and you know our our organization honor the earth and our sister organization our king is working on a lot of these just transition as we call it you know de- diminishing manufacturing messes like bottle washing factories try that one try that what if we didn't crush every glass bottle after a single use hmm that's what they do in other countries they don't crush them they don't require the energy to remake them what you need to do is wash your dang bottles you know so that's how you rebuild it and you get all kind of jobs after that kind of economy and then you quit outsourcing your jobs to overseas oh that's right we used to have a textile industry in this country until the 1990s that's when we offshored it all so i want to rebuild the textile economy and i want to rebuild that with hemp I want to rebuild it with hemp. Now, I've been growing hemp for 5 years. I'm on my 6th year. I'm a fiber hemp grower. Called the New Green Revolution. Why do I do that? Because uh that's right, Minnesota was where the first green revolution came from. Minnesota Norman Borlaug, University of Minnesota, creator of the New Green of the Green Revolution. Well, we want to create the New Green Revolution. And that's hemp. Because everything you do with fossil fuels, you can replace with hemp. Besides that, it bioremediates and it and it grows so much faster than cotton. or wood, you know, you can make all your all your tissues out of it or your paper out of hemp. Way to go. Way to go. Hempcrete housing, you know, get rid of your concrete footprint of fossil fuels. Oh my god. There is some structural hemp. Kind of looks like Lego blocks and, and there's some other stuff. But I'm saying that just open your minds a little bit and quit drinking the Kool-Aid of the fossil fuel economy and see that all around us there is not only this massive movement of you know slow food and local food that is an all fossil fuel impacted organic food y'all you know you're all into that right keep growing that economy and then cut your energy consumption put yourselves on a diet put yourself on a fossil fuels diet and then and then look to the to the just transition of the renewable energy economy and you know we don't have to we don't have to mine the lithium out of Bolivia right now let's go for a few other options before we do that like maybe the hemp batteries or you know something else like aluminum batteries we need to like not mine the rest of the world for the fossil for the next economy either so be smart be innovative and stay strong that's what i say you know cuz i'm looking out there and looks like a brutal summer coming up i think the pandemic helped us we all got a pretty good shake up didn't we we had to figure out what we valued and what we didn't right We all had to take kind of like a sobering stock of our level of crazy and addiction and say, "Hey, what's worth it? What's not worth it?" You know, some stuff just ain't worth it. Let's just not do it, you know? Arundhati Roy, the great Indian writer, talks about pandemic as portal. 
She says that in the history of the world, pandemics have always forced societies to change, and this one is no different. She asks the question, if it's a portal between one world and the next, what do you want to bring through? You want to bring your prejudices, your hatreds, your avarice, your data banks, your dirty rivers, or you want to walk through clean? I say, let's go through clean. You know, we already shook up a lot of things. The economy's shaken up. We all just saw that. We cut our fossil fuels consumption by 10%. We realize that we don't need to get stuff around the world because we can't. Oh yeah, we noticed that when we, we realized that our food supplies were not were not safe, right? I mean, they smashed a bunch of eggs and poured, you know, because they were building for a different economy. So more people got local in last year, but he started gardening. Keep it up. Build your local food system. That's what you got to do. So the, the, the shift is happening not just because of people like me, but because of the reality that we live in is something to be reckoned with. You know, and then the social movements have caused a change. I mean, I come from Minnesota. George Floyd ignited a social movement that was long overdue. And what do we have now? You know, we have a lot of things that are changed because of Mr. Floyd. Like, for instance, I spent a lifetime trying to get those damn Columbus statues down. Right? What's down? Most of them. Along with conquistadors and Confederates. They're all gone. The Washington Redskins or who? Who is that? Right? So what I'm saying is, is this movement is merging, this movement is changing things. And now what we need to do is just keep it moving. So people come to us, come see us. You know, in June, Enbridge is going to start construction. In early June. You know, and I don't know what it's going to look like up there, but people are coming up and, you know, it's really interesting because they were all quarantined. And then we're saying, come outside. It's okay. Come outside, but be present. You know, if you want to protect your water, canoe, get a canoe. Come with us. You know, and so I see this transformation and, and so many people are coming our way. We're so grateful for them. And you just say, take a breath. You're out on your mother earth. But but after that, you know, there's this place and, and there's this, this transformation that is happening and it's happening on a larger scale too. You know, there's a single largest transfer of material wealth that's happening now. And so what I found and I noticed at Standing Rock is the 1%, they may not like us, but their children do. Their children like us and their children all showed up at Standing Rock. And you're seeing this transformation that's happening with foundations and funders, old money moving to this new generation and they're funding land back. That's what they're funding. They're funding the restoration of land and they're funding, you know, work to protect ecosystems. They're funding challenges to multinational corporations and they're also coming to see us. So I see this. I just want to nurture it. I want to encourage it because we got a lot of people. And once you wake up, and stay woke, you can do all kind of cool things. So, you know, I'm saying, let's go. Enbridge is marching ahead on a pipeline that 68,000 people or 95% of the people of Minnesota testified against. The 5% that testified were seats filled by Enbridge's staff and employees, right? They bust in people and blocked us to the process. But, you know, everybody knows nobody likes this pipeline, right? And so they managed to get through the system. I think that's called regulatory capture. When Canadian multinationals take over your regulatory system and get everything approved for a pipeline that nobody would approve if they were if they had the right mind, right? So they get the thing approved. They started in, in December, marching ahead and uh, destroying. This is Speller Buncher comes in and it cuts, like, grabs a tree like this, it throws it to the side, grabs the top part, and they throws it to the side. It's just brutal. It's brutal what is going on up north. And they got through a chunk of the other territory like that. Enbridge said they got 50% done, I'd say 35. I'm gonna tell you that because I'm on the ground. And you know, at Standing Rock, 
In uh, 2016, they had one river to cross. The Dakota Access Pipeline had one river to cross. Enbridge has 22 rivers to cross. 22 rivers to cross. That shows you how much water we have in Minnesota. 22 rivers that they're going to cross. The Shell River, by my house, they cross five times. You know, six times if you count the Little Shell. So I'm like, how am I supposed to feel about that? That seems like kind of like a roll of the dice if that river's going to be okay, right? So people are going to stand by those rivers. And then Enbridge is going to decide if they're going to, if they want to shoot me, if they want to shoot me and a bunch of other people to get in the, the pipeline. I mean, because the fact is, is that this is a, a Canadian multinational corporation that wants to make a profit. And the people of Minnesota don't want this corporation. And Enbridge has spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to buy consent. But I'll tell you what, money does not buy you love. Money does not buy you love. And what they are going to face is tens of thousands of people who look like me. And a lot of them older. There was like eight old ladies from Maine that got arrested last week. They called themselves the Golden Girls. They were 75 years old. You know, in, in when it was 10 below, they arrested seven people in a piano one day. You know, we're going to keep getting people arrested. And that's a sad thing that you got to get arrested to protect your water. But you know what? It's water or oil and I'm going for water. Anishinaabe prophecies long time ago talked about this time. Most of our indigenous prophecies have talked, spoken of this time. The Hopis refer to a web in the sky. Back in the day, we thought that was Star Wars. No, but it was the internet. It was the internet. That's what they were talking about because of the massive technological changes that it has brought, including us here on Zoom, right? But more than that, it is this time that we are told in our prophecies that we have a choice between two paths. One path, they say, is well-worn, but it's scorched. The other path, they say, is not well-worn, and it's green. And it's our choice upon which path to embark. So I'm on the green path. That's my instructions. Those are about a thousand years old, and we all got the same instructions in my community, and we're going to do that. So, you know, each day we reaffirm our gratitude for being alive, our gratitude to our water, and then we make a good plan to do our best that day and maybe do a little better, you know? That's that's it. And uh, stand tall for the water.